0: Good morning. Welcome to Park Road Baptist Church. We're delighted to have you on this beautiful Sunday. Thanks to Roxanne Holt Watson for playing. Chris White, who often plays for us on Sunday mornings, is home recovering from knee replacement. He'll be back soon, but we're always glad to have Roxanne We're delighted to have you in the room. We have a good crowd here. We have folks joining us online, so welcome. The only announcement I want to make for you this morning, really, is to call your attention to our summer schedule. These were in the newsletter this week. You can find them online. You can pick up a copy in Hilt Hall. We have a full schedule for the summer. Lots of opportunities for you to be be together here uh, and in other places. So please make note of that and be church together this summer. I do want to say congratulations to Katie Welch and Travis, who have a new little boy, Lyndon Roan Brown. I think they're going to call him Lenny, maybe, for a little bit. Uh, Lenny was born this past week. Mom and baby are doing well. And so we remember Katie and Travis and Lenny, uh, who joins uh, his big brother, Heron, at home. And hopefully we'll have a chance to introduce him to the congregation here before long. As we prepare to worship, uh, I, I need to call your attention to the hymn. The first hymn is number 25 and not 24. You're probably smart enough to have figured that out, but let me call your attention. Don't try to sing number 24 while the brass and Roxanne are playing number 25. We're delighted to have you here this day. As we prepare our hearts and minds to worship, listen as Roxanne plays.
1: kingdom coming. but to realize you are here and now among us. These things we ask in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father.
2: In a moment, during our prayer, we will confess that we don't have enough time or don't make enough time for God in our busy lives. This got me to thinking about time, how I spend it, and how much of it I waste. And I found a couple of quotes about time that I'd like to share with you. Time is free, but it is priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. And once you've lost it, you can never get it back. Another one that I like, time flies. You are the navigator. And my favorite, never waste any time that you could spend sleeping. (laughs) As we take a few moments of our time together in silence, think about how you use your time and where does God fit in? Let us keep silence together. Now would you pray with me our prayer of confession? O timeless God, for whom I do not have time, catch me with a sudden stab of beauty or pain or regret that will catch me up short for a moment to look hard enough at myself, the unutterable terror and hope within me And so, to be caught by you. And know that even with the limited time that you spend with God, you are loved and you are forgiven. So be at peace.
0: We have a special children's time this morning, and I want you to join me on this side, so come on down, all of our children. A few of you back there. I want y'all to sit on this side of me so you can see the stage really good here. What do you notice different this morning? People are sitting there playing a whole bunch of instruments. That's exactly right. You're sitting on this side, that's right, you are sitting on the, on the different side. I'm so glad to have these friends with us this morning. Three of these folks, Courtney and Alexander and Dale and I play together in the Charlotte Pride Band. We practice in this room every Thursday night and have concerts here. And Dorian is a new friend of mine, and they're all here today to play with the choir. And you heard them playing um, on the first hymn. I want each of them to play for you so you can hear what these instruments sound like. Everyone is a little different. Courtney plays the trumpet, and she's going to let you know what the trumpet sounds like. Pretty good, huh? You like the trumpet? Alexander plays the French horn. Listen to what it sounds like. Thank you, Alexander. The French horn. Uh, Dale plays the trombone. Listen to the trombone. I like the trombone. Don't you like the trombone? And Dorian plays the tuba. Listen. they look different, they sound different, but you know what? You can play them together and they're beautiful. I want you to listen. They're going to play, the hymn that we just sang, they're going to play through one time. Listen as they play together. play a different instrument it can have a different sound but when we work together wow beautiful I'm so grateful my prayer today for you is just thank you God for beautiful music and for instrumentalists for different musicians and that we can all work together and make beautiful music you love music I do too amen thank y'all y'all can go back thank you quartet You know, we're not really a clapping congregation, but sometimes you just want to break out, don't you, you know? Um, I understand that, not being a clapping congregation. I just say, let the Spirit move, you know. Thanks to our brass. Thanks to our Sunday-only choir. Third Sunday of the month, if you want to come sing in the choir and don't have time for a Wednesday night rehearsal, you can join us, and look what we can do when we all sing together. So thanks to those who have joined us for this morning. Today, we are ending this tide series that we have called The Stories We Tell. We've tried to learn something about what ought to be essential to our understanding of church from the stories of the early church. That which was essential in turning a fledgling group of Jewish dissenters into a viable, vital, new spiritual movement with lasting worldwide impact, that ought to be instructive to us. They talked about resurrection and belief, breaking bread and abundant life, the way and the spirit. Those stories have animated the Christian church for 20 centuries. When we get all caught up in culture wars and petty theological arguments that divide Christians, making us increasingly irrelevant to the current day, we need to remember what it was that set Jesus' followers on fire. It was not theological purity. It was a deep conviction that the Jesus story is life-changing, world-altering. We finish telling these stories today on this day that is called Ascension Sunday in the church. Luke is the only gospel writer who tells the story of the ascension of Jesus. In his sequel to his gospel, Luke wrote both the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Luke tells the story this way in the book of Acts. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or period that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive of power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when they had heard this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up to heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them and said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then they returned to Jerusalem. From the Mount of of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away, that is as many steps as they could walk on a Sabbath day. You know, you could only walk a certain number of steps. Mount of Olives is not far from Jerusalem. It's right across the valley, but that's the number of steps you could take on a Sabbath day. It was a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter And John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. There's our story for the day. We've had some really fascinating conversation in recent Bible studies that I lead, both the Wednesday morning group and our twice-a-month Tuesday morning study. It is wonderful to have the time that we cannot take on Sunday morning during a sermon to more fully unpack a biblical text. You're all welcome to join us for Tuesday or Wednesday Bible study. This past Wednesday, we discussed today's text, and as I was talking, I was getting some of those looks around the table like, what? You you believe what? You, You don't believe what? I've seen those looks before, but it made me wonder if you've not been listening for the last 22 years, or maybe Amy and I have just not said it clearly enough. We will take the blame, but what you need to know is that our hermeneutic which is just a fancy word for the way you read and interpret scripture, our approach to the Bible has not changed. It's exactly the same as it was the first day we drove up in the driveway and unloaded our books into the church office here. In fact, the first year we were here, Amy told you that she did not believe there was an historical man named Jonah who was literally swallowed by a literal fish and stayed in the belly of that fish for three literal days Now, she did have to swallow a little hard when she told that because her family had showed up that day uh, unannounced to Amy, and uh, she didn't know she was going to have to kind of come out, you know, as a liberal that day. Um, You know, that's not the way they tell the Jonah story at Leesville Southern Methodist Church, a church that will still not admit a woman as a pastor. So I want to make sure today that I make it clear to you about this story. Are you listening? I do not believe that one month and ten days after the resurrection, Jesus walked out onto a hill in a town called Bethany, and the flesh and bones of his physical body levitated off the earth and was carried up in some miraculous meteorological display, disappearing into a bank of stratus clouds as he made his way up into heaven. I tried to say that as precisely, literally as possible, I do not believe that happened. Now, what bothered me about the conversation on Wednesday was that I know some of the men sitting around that table, as I know some of you don't believe that either. But, you know, well, it's in the Bible, and, well, you know, what do you do with that? And, well, what most people do with that is just set it aside. They don't deal with it because they don't believe it, but they don't know how not to believe it, because, you know, it's in the Bible. So the story, and usually the whole Bible as well, just gets set aside, dismissed, read with one large eye roll, you know, the Bible, one of those stories. For more than 20 years, Amy and I have been trying to tell you there is a different way to read the Bible. Just because I don't believe the literal factuality of this story does not mean that I do not affirm the ascension of Jesus. I absolutely do. The New Testament says he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and I believe Jesus is at the right hand of God. Just because I don't read literally does not mean the Bible is not important to me. It is It doesn't mean it's not true to me, it is. It doesn't mean I don't affirm the inspiration of Scripture by the Holy Spirit, I absolutely do. I just believe the writers of Scripture never intended us to read just literally. Believing that this story can stand the scrutiny of 21st century science, that is, that it happened materially, I believe that would completely miss the point Luke was trying to make. Luke was writing maybe 60 years after the death of Jesus. Now given the average lifespan in the ancient world, 60 years is even longer back then than it is today. Six decades is a lot of time for stories to begin circulating, for theologies, plural, theologies, ideas about Jesus to begin forming, for beliefs to start settling in, in what by Luke's time is now a specifically Christian movement. It's not been specifically Christian all along the way, but by the time Luke writes 60 years after Jesus, it's a specifically Christian community. Luke is the only gospel writer who tells the story of the Ascension. Why? Luke is writing to a Gentile population. The church is now established separate from its Jewish origins. And this non-Jewish audience has a different worldview, and Luke as opposed to Paul or Mark or Matthew who wrote before him, Uh, Luke is writing in his context. In her 1969 book entitled On Death and Dying, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross outlines five stages of the grieving process. You've probably all heard these now. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally, acceptance. Acceptance. A commentator named James Adams connects the story of the ascension, remember, told only by Luke, to a Gentile Christian audience. Adams connects this story to the grieving process. He says, After 60 years, now an established Christian movement, maybe the church is finally ready to accept the loss and to move on without Jesus. It's the last stage of grieving acceptance. The elevated status of Jesus at the right hand of God was, by the time of Luke's writing, an affirmation for many Christians. So perhaps the ascension story is to be heard as a theological metaphor, putting the story of Jesus in the context of the church of Luke's day. Jesus has ascended to God. We are left to carry on. So are you with me? Grieving, accepting, Jesus lifted up in their understanding. It's time to carry on. But carry on what? And that's what I think this story is about. I keep telling you I want you to love the Bible as much as I do because rather than some dusty, out-of-touch book full of unbearably unbelievable stories, I believe the Bible is so contemporary. Biblical wisdom is for our day. I hear it every time I pick up the Bible. What's happening there is happening here. Our world is very different than the world of Jesus, but the things that really matter will never change. Personal, emotional, relational issues, which is to say spiritual matters, will always be what is most important, and the advance of time will not change what is essential to being human. And the Bible speaks to those matters. And, unfortunately, the challenges that Jesus offered to the systems of his day, the religious and cultural and political narratives that prevented Jesus' vision of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, those narratives, the way the world's values are at odds with God's values, those conflicts are still with us. The disciples did not get it from the beginning to the end. He's leaving them now, and this last day they see him, they're still asking the wrong question Is it time, Jesus? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They've been waiting, waiting for him to set up the resistance, to call the masses to arms, to announce the rebellion to invoke God and call down fire on the Romans to restore the kingdom of Israel. In Mark's gospel, James and John, those two sons of thunder, don't even know to be embarrassed when they boldly say to Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask, Jesus. Grant us to sit one on your right hand and one on your left when you come into your glory. They're not talking about heaven, folks. They want the kingdom they want power restore the kingdom it's time now when I was talking about this on Wednesday morning I accidentally uttered the words restore the kingdom you know make Israel great again make Israel great again it was an honest slip not an intentional illusion but there is a dangerous similarity The disciples of Jesus were expecting an earthly movement. Israel, as God's chosen nation, in the very same way some Christians today believe God's work in this world is focused through the so-called manifest destiny of one nation, the United States of America, and through one brand of very conservative Christianity, and through one political ideology that is a subset of one political party. The Christian nationalism, some so proudly espouse, is fraught with all the hazards. The naive notion of theocracy will always impose on the state and especially on the church. They wanted it 2,000 years ago. Some want it today. Is it time, Jesus, to restore the kingdom? Now, I believe Jesus is speaking to us. As much as he's speaking to them when he says, it's not for you to know. Which may have been his way of just dismissing the question, you still don't understand, do you? You just don't get it. That's not what this is about. But, but he says, you will receive power not political or military might, not the power valued by rulers or nations and their religious mouthpieces, but you will receive a power much more transformative than that. You will receive power to become my disciples, power to carry on in my absence, power to love your enemies, power to be meek and merciful, Power to forgive and forgive and forgive. Power to value the least, not the greatest. Power to uphold the last, not the first. Power to serve, not to dominate. Power to do unto others only what you would have them do unto you. Power to break down walls, not build up divisions. Power to be true, not to be right. Faithful not pious, power to take up a cross, not a sword, you will receive power, the only kind of power that can change the world, the power to love, even if it kills you. You will receive the power that could literally bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven if you choose to receive it. Is it time, Jesus? Yeah, it's time, church. Way past time. May it be so, amen.
3: The character of Martha showed up on Maundy Thursday. She makes her last appearance today as we end this series, though I don't think I'm putting her away. This will be my seventh creative writing around a text uh, from the perspective of Martha, as I imagine she might have experienced things that we don't have written down from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. So I don't know if I'm right. I think I am. (laughs) That it probably went something like this. And at least in my imagination, I am very right. I am going to do something with this. Many of you have been very kind and asked me if I'm going to do something with this, and I am going to do something with this, but I think I have a few more to write to get the full um, essence of how Martha might have experienced this time with Jesus during his life, around his death, and then in these resurrection moments. So you all get to say goodbye to Martha in here today, and maybe one day you can buy my book and pay for my retirement. (laughs) They tell it in a way that is so specific. The 11 were there that day and they went back to an upper room to marry his mother and the other women and his brothers. I don't know why it is so hard for them to acknowledge that I was there. There were 12, there were 12, there were 12. How hard is that? It wasn't the exact original 12 but there were still 12 of us there that day and I saw it with my own two eyes well I think it would be better to say that I experienced it within my own being ascension isn't something that you see it's something that you feel and we all felt it deep that day everybody well, almost everybody, had heard about Jesus, even if they had not experienced him for themselves. There were a lot of fringe people. They had heard about him, but they had not experienced him in any up-close and personal way. We had experienced him. And once you experience Jesus, you are forever changed. It's as simple as that. These fringe people had been mumbling now for over a month. We didn't really have to eavesdrop because they were clearly saying it loud enough for us to hear. They kept saying, some in kind ways but most in accusatory ways, it's time for them to get over it. I mean, everyone knows about grief. Everyone knows about losing someone that's close to you and the pain that comes with that. It is such a part of our life, death that is, that you have to move on. But moving on from Jesus was different. And so yes, we had heard the rumblings, it's time for his little band of happy followers to get over it. Get back to living. Can I just say as carefully as I know how, anyone that tells anybody to get over death has no idea what they're talking about. I will never get over it. I don't want to get over it. My depth of pain is in direct correlation to my depth of love, and that, my friends, was deep and abiding, so I will hurt forever. But on this day, what we experienced collectively was that it was time for us to move through it. Please, for the love of God, don't ever tell anyone to get over it. How do you get over the absence of someone who has so radically changed your life, your way of thinking, your way of being, your way of seeing the world, your way of seeing each other, your way of seeing yourself? I will never get over that, so don't tell me to. But on that day, As we were sitting around and talking and crying and laughing a little too, we realized that we were pretty stuck. Someone said, I feel like I'm spending all of my time looking around behind me, beside me, above me, expecting for things to return to the way they were. Oh, we all knew that feeling so well. Well, something happened that day. I think they call it, acceptance. And we decided we couldn't keep looking for him to show back up, at least not in real and tangible ways like it used to be, but he could keep showing up. If we said the things he said, and if we did the things that he did, And if we acted the way he acted, then every single time we could do all of that, it would be like a little piece of Jesus had returned to us and to the world. And so we committed right there and then all 12 of us that we would go back and tell the others what we had experienced. We would go back and we would tell them we need to start acting like Jesus. We need to start being like Jesus. We need to start a Jesus movement. We trusted that somehow he was above us, watching over us, rooting for us, pulling for us, cheering us on, trying to force his energy into our very being so that we might become more like him. When we return to the others, back in that upper room, we made that commitment, all of us. There had been just one of him, and of course, so there was no way for all those fringe people to get to know just one of him, but if we all decided to do our very best to summon him in ourselves, we began to realize that all the people, all the different people, we would touch, could experience him more closely. Well, surely he'd be happy about that. So we marked that day, and we called it Ascension Day, because we had risen above our grief, which is so different than being over it. We had been lifted up to move through our grief and pain and into a world who desperately needed the Jesus way. Our little tagline became, Followers of the Way. It took a little while for it to catch on. And it would get interpreted and reinterpreted in so many different ways for years to come. But anytime anybody acted like Jesus, and any time anybody talked like Jesus... And anytime anybody moved around in this world like Jesus, then we knew that they had ascended. And then they became one of us. And every time that happens, even still to this day, the heavens rejoice because Earth experienced. In you, even in me, little Martha.
2: Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, our desire like that of Martha and the earliest disciples, is to follow in the way of Jesus. So give us the courage to be your witnesses in our world and to do the work you have called us to do, to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. May we be reminded that the time to act is now. May we offer peace rather than stirring the pot. May we find comfort in you rather than in earthly things. Help us to avoid the tempting paths that lead us away from you. Give us love even for our enemies and enable us to offer acceptance and forgiveness to all our neighbors. We pray for those who most need to experience your nearness on this day. May they find comfort in your abiding presence. Grateful for your goodness and your grace, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Every month we have uh, a mission offering that goes to a charitable organization and this month's offering is for charlotte family housing we have had at park road a very long relationship with uh, charlotte family housing some of you may have provided meals for them at elizabeth house and i know some of you have spent the night overnight as hosts Uh, for Charlotte Family Housing so we're happy to welcome Elizabeth Kurtz among us this morning if you would come now and she is the executive director of Charlotte Family Housing they have uh, experienced some changes in recent years and we look forward to hearing from you
4: thank you Dan and thank you to all of you who have served alongside us over all the years. You won't see it with your eyes, that's not how it works. The kingdom of God is among you. God's kingdom is among us. It's the people in this room, it's the moms we serve at Charlotte Family Housing, and it's in the relationships that we build together. We're called to serve those who have less, which is not to be confused or construed to mean that those in need are less. We are all God's children. Today, I want you to take three things away from my comments. The first, I want to remind you of the mission of Charlotte Family Housing. The second is I want to tell you a little bit about the people we serve. And the third is I want to talk a little bit about new ways that you can join us. Our purpose is to empower working families experiencing homelessness on a path to long-term self-sufficiency and long-term housing stability. People like Natalia, who might be on the other end of the phone when you call your bank for customer service needs or Angela, the phlebotomist at your doctor's office when you go to get blood taken, or Shirley, who runs food service for a local daycare chain. All of these moms are part of the Charlotte Family Housing Program. All of these moms are neighbors alongside you. I'm terrible with microphones. (laughs) (laughs) These are the folks who live among us, who are faithful like us, and who need a helping hand just like we sometimes do. There are lots of ways that you can join in our work. There are done in a day projects where you can come and throw a party at the shelter to make it feel a little bit more like home. There are long-term projects like serving alongside us in skilled capacity ways or joining with our families. Um, Inside, outside, evenings, weekends, all kinds of different ways to serve. I wanted, in my original notes before I I scratched it all and (laughs) decided to go with today's liturgy, um, I had a lot more about how we serve and our process. And I realized that probably our better bet is to thank you for your partnership, to talk about how the liturgy relates to the giving that we're doing today and make sure that you know that I'll be outside and we can talk a little bit deeper both about how you can engage and about the process of what we do after the service. So I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for what you do. Thank you for your gifts, your time, your talent, your treasure, and your testimony. We appreciate it.
3: Elizabeth for um, I thought the first thing she said was something I had just said. And it's like <laughs> how did she do that? She scrapped her whole thing and started over. Thank you. Um, some of you may remember back in the day it was called Family Promise and families would come and stay on our campus for a whole week, seven nights, and we would do all the meals and we would set it up like Room in the Inn, but it's room in the image where families would sleep and they finally bought a house, got a house where the families don't have to move every week. So the volunteers go to them instead of uh, coming to our own churches. So I'm so glad that things uh, remain after COVID. I know that was a hard stretch trying to figure COVID out, but um, it does seem to me that the Charlotte Family Housing, as with many, many organizations like that, do seek to rise above help people rise above their circumstances. It's Ascension Sunday, you get it? Rise above. (laughs) So let me encourage you to find ways to volunteer with Charlotte Family Housing or any other place that's helping people rise above their situation and live into a better way of living. There, I'm coming and going. Um, So, in keeping with our theme, I would like to invite you to rise above whatever it is that keeps you from joining the church. (laughs) If you are so inclined to become a part of what we are doing in this place in an official capacity, we would welcome you as we sing our hymn of commitment.
0: Is talking to the disciples there, who are expecting some kind of cataclysmic world-ending event. And Jesus says that's not what the kingdom is about. You're not going to see that with your eyes. Don't be expecting that kind of apocalypse. But love that can't be seen with your eyes is not much love. Okay? I think Jesus would say, you have to make your love real. It has to be visible with your eyes. And that's how the kingdom comes, you will see that. The world needs to see that. Clarification. Thank you. Thank you to our brass for being here today. Thank you to our choir, beautiful music. Thank you to all of you for being here. The final word is not ours, but the Lord's. So hear this good word of benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May
3: God's face shine upon you, and may God be gracious. To you.
0: May God give you grace this day to love with all your heart.
3: That you might do justice.
0: To love with all your soul.
3: That you might show mercy.
0: To love with all your mind.
3: That you might walk humbly with your God.
0: That you go into the world this day, dear friends, love the Lord your God with all your strength.
3: And love your neighbor as yourself.